We, we've been talking a little bit over the last week and kind of heading into this time about close encounters that people had in the Old Testament with God. And they are really unique because we have to shine the light of the New Testament on them, but we find some amazing stuff because these people were just like you and I. They had doubts and hurts and fears and struggles. And what God did was he not only just met them right where they were at, he gave them something that was going to be helpful for them for the rest of their lives. And we get to see this now. And they came in the form of I am statements. And whenever you see that, uh, I mean, can't, you can't make your skin crawl, but your skin is supposed to just go, you're supposed to kind of take that breath. Because when, when God says, I am, it's like a holy moment. Then he says this in the Old Testament. People who are reading that would have kind of got that. And for Abram, he had that I am moment where God says, I am your great reward. And he said, I'm actually the one that makes it happen. And then he goes and tells Abram, he says, hey, you know what? My fingerprints are actually all over your future. And here's what your future looks like. It's like, whoa, <laughs> right? And so he was doubting and God met him right at the place where he was doubting and he said, this is who I am and this is what you can take into your future. And so that is what God does for all of us is he wants to meet us, he wants to give us a sense of who he is because believe it or not, you are not the most important person on the planet, right? So you're going, what? <laughs> Yeah, actually God is going to meet you and he's going to tell you who he is and that's going to change everything. And there are these close encounters that we're looking at. There's um, a friend of ours from Bronx Park who actually leads a small group when they, decades ago, they were telling me about their close encounter with, that they had. They led a, a small group of special needs. Uh, young adults and they said it was actually one of the most rewarding times and if you've ever uh, worked with special needs people you know exactly what they mean because it's actually amazing to see and they ask these incredibly great questions some of them are deep and some of them not so much and they're going through this story about uh, Saul who is becoming Paul and there was a light that shone on him he in the road to Damascus and so they telling this whole story to them and the guy says okay so how bright was the light he thought, huh, I never thought of that. He said, was it like the sun bright? And he's thinking, well, you know, the sun shines in a room. He says, no, it was probably bigger than that. It was like, um... and just then, a bolt of lightning hit the pole outside and went, and the whole room lit up. And he goes, it was like that. <laughs> <laughs> And here's the thing, some of you right now, that little inner cynic rose up inside of you and said, yeah, that's not God. It actually is. And here's what I want to challenge you at. God is wanting to bring these things into your life. Your part is actually to open yourself up to believe and see them. Because God is working all the time. Are you going to believe? Are you gonna believe that he would come and do that thing? Would he come and do that for a group of special needs people? Sure he would. And what I'm gonna hopefully challenge you with and encourage you in this, that there is a hound of heaven and he is chasing after those things that are deepest and most important in our life. And I'm gonna go around, we're gonna take a look at, at uh, Jonah 
But we're going to take a look at Jonah in terms of what was God chasing after in the man? And what did he really want to get to Jonah? And how did he really want to reveal the I am to him? Uh, and, and we'll take a few minutes and kind of unpack that together. But I want to start with the place where you're going to catch this as we get into the Jonah story with Moses. And Moses was had that experience on the mountain when he got the tablets and he comes down because he was gone a long time and the people were impatient or ignorant or whatever and they start worshiping the golden calf and he gets mad and he smashes it it's kind of good kind of mad right because they lost their mind and then right after that exodus 33 in exodus 34 moses and god come back together again and there's sort of a a seminal moment in Moses' life where he says to God, you know, there's all that stuff that happened and everything, but he says, you know what, God, you know what I really want? I want to know you. And I think as a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is something inside of you that this is absolutely true for you too. You don't want to actually just hear stories from somebody up here. You don't want to hear about somebody else's deal with God. You want to know God yourself and know who he really is. And you want to have those encounters with him. And, and uh, Moses, he's pretty brassy. He said, okay, God, here's what I want. I want to see you. There's no problem with that. If he would actually see God, he would die, right? Because we can't, sort of doesn't work that way. And God said, okay, you know, I like that though. Good attitude. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in front of you, kind of in behind like that, so you will get a, a sort of a glimpse of the word is his glory. And that's sort of the, the, the full sense of the awe and the amazingness of God. And if actually, by the time he, that thing was over, he glowed so much, they said, hey, cover up your face, man. So it was an incredible God encounter that he has. And then we pick it up, and this is, this is where I want to bounce off of in Exodus 34. When that experience is in the middle of happening, you may not have thought, heard, thought about what was it that God said when he was in Moses' presence, Moses says, I want to know you. And he said, okay, this is what he wants to know me. And he, the Lord, passed in front of uh, Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, I am compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Y'all should be really happy about that last part. I know a lot of you, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Eh, right? We all got some of that going on. And God says, thank you for nodding, by the way, that's good. God says, you know what, here's what I am. I am compassionate and loving and forgiving and faithful and gracious and slow to anger. And these words would have kind of been the, the mantra of a generation that they would have got and understood who God was. And then it, it would have resonated in the hearts of God's people that they would have got it. And that list was in their mind because that's who God says he is. That, those are the I am's. And as a whole generation, they would have got that. So we fast forward now to Jonah because that's the story you want to get. You got that list in your mind. And this is when we jump to Jonah and his close encounter, we're going to kind of skip the whole big fish thing. 
And we'll jump right to a little farther down. And uh, Jonah is in the middle of his assignment. He's gotten carried back in and he goes, he's talking to the Assyrians who are this horrible, horrible people. And he brings the message of hellfire and brimstone to, to the people of Nineveh. And uh, to his absolute horror, what happens is he didn't actually tell them to repent. He just said, this is what's gonna happen to you. You are gonna go and down, buddy. And they repented and God relented. And he is ticked because he was just wanting no repentance and he was wanting to see them fry. And he's very, very, like really good prophet, right? Really mad. And so we're gonna pick up the story because God was not just on a journey to look at the Assyrians. God was after the heart of his prophet because the heart of his prophet was in trouble. So he complained to the Lord about it. How many of you have ever complained when you prayed? <laughs> yeah, all the time, right? Apparently God's okay with that. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. Because I knew, here we go guys, where does this come from? I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You got over here, right, Moses? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, man. Over here? Oh, my word. What happened to Joe? You know what happened to him? The things that happen to all of us. Life. Hurts. Things that were done to him. And I'll, I'll go into a little more detail. Your kid's not turning out the way you thought you were out. Your marriage isn't turning out the way you thought it was going to turn out. Your finances aren't turning out. You have brokenness. You have hurt. Somebody did something to you that was absolutely horrible. And what was meant to be a blessing now seems like a curse. And Jonah is in trouble. And you and I can be in trouble if we don't know how to handle our hurts. So this is what we're going to take a look at, how God comes after his prophet who's completely in trouble. Jonah had become angry. He'd become frustrated. And he had absolutely lost his way. Now, before we kind of jump on him too badly, I, I want to paint a picture of the Assyrians, the people who he was bringing this message to. Uh, Nineveh was called the bloody city. And they, they didn't have a kind of winning hearts and minds understanding of, of getting after their people. What they did is they decided they would, with brutality and force, take over their enemies and do everything possible to intimidate them. And so that they would cut off the heads of the leaders and they would put them on posts at the city gate. So as you would walk by, you would see the heads of these people. They would literally skin the soldiers alive. Some of this is going to get kind of graphic. And they would leave the corpses at, at the posts. Um, I hope they did this post-mortem rather than before, they, they, would, they would take the testicles of the men and they would rip them out. They would do just unspeakable things to their enemies. And if you come from an honor culture, you're gonna get how bad this is. They would, they would make the nobles, they bring the bones of their ancestors and they would make them kneel and crush the bones of their ancestors. And if you were living in honor culture, you get that, how horrible that would be of what you were doing to your kids. This is what the Assyrians were like. 
Now, you may not be quite on Team Jonah yet, but maybe you understand, right? You know, that wasn't just what they did to those people. That's what they did probably to Jonah's friends and relatives. Those were people that he knew, that he cared about. Those things happened to somebody close to him. So the hurt's real, just like your hurt's real. And what are we going to do with our hurts? And I, I want you to hear this because I don't want to, you to think that any of the reality of those hurts are being denied. This is genuinely awful stuff. And God comes to his prophet and he goes and chases after him because he realized his prophet was in so much trouble. See, we aren't going to get any help from the world, right? In this area. Are we? What does our world look like? We're in trouble. We're in big trouble. We are offended, we're angry, and we're divided. We are getting no help from society in this. We need the gospel to speak into our hurts, into the things that have happened to us. So we're going to take a look and we're going to, in just a few sections, unpack. So Jonah and his relatives, they have these things happen to it, and he is just angry beyond anger that God has relented and he hasn't done that thing. And so Jonah went outside the city after the king repented and he sat to the east of it and he made a shelter for himself and he sat in it in the shade until he could see what was going to happen to the city. He had this sinking suspicion that he knew. And then God gives him his close encounter. And I want you to look at the words that you're going to see there underlined. So the Lord appointed, say appointed, a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head and to deliver him from his discomfort. It was super hot. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed, appointed a worm that came the next day and attacked the plant and it withered. And the sun came up and God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and he begged and with all his soul to die. Death is better than life. And God is trying to get at the heart of his, his servant and he's trying to teach him something. And so he says to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? You see, Jonah was thinking about what was happening around him. That's all he was thinking about. He was thinking about what was going on, the circumstances of his life, and now this thing happened. And if you are annoyed and frustrated at the things that are just happening at you around you in your world, it's probably because there's something deeper going on. And God wants to get at the deeper part of Jonah's heart. And the deeper part of Jonah's heart he goes after it. And as you begin to look at it and you begin to see it, see Moses wanted to see God. Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with him. And he missed the extent to which God had chased after Jonah with everything. He didn't need a prophet to send that, that Jonah, that prophet to send the message. He had schools of prophets to go send the message, right? He could have picked anybody. He didn't need to send the fish out to go, you know, take them back and do all that stuff. And, and some of y'all are, are a bit unconcerned about the whole fish thing. How does that work that he gets inside his stomach? Aren't there acids inside the stomach and everything like that? I, I have a quick little thought for you. God made the sun stand still because he made the sun, right? God raised people from the dead because he is life. Don't overthink this. This is not complicated. 
fish, use it, do it, whatever. So God didn't need to do all these things for Jonah. He didn't need him to do this. What he did is he wanted him to be free. Because inside of Jonah's heart, the hurts were eating him up. I just want to die. I've said those words. Maybe you have. Maybe you've never told anybody, but you might have said those words. And some of you have really, really meant those words. Because some of your hurts are really deep. And I want you to know that God is chasing after you. I want you to see this picture that God didn't need to do that, but he sent Jonah, he went after him, he gave him this, he does everything because he wants the freedom of his people. I can look on the outside stuff, I can look at the terrible things that have happened in my life, but God says, hey, I got a, I got a better look for you. Let's take a look at the last part of that, those verses. And then the Lord said, and this should have been kind of the moment that, uh, that was Jonah's freedom. He says, and the Lord said, you had, what's the word there? He said, you had compassion on the plant hmm. that you didn't work for, that you didn't cause to grow, but it came up overnight and it perished overnight. Should I not have compassion for Nineveh in a great city for there are 120,000 persons who, now this, is, this was it, who don't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. That should have been it. See, Jonah was thinking about all the terrible things who were absolutely right, and God says, no, 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 okay, I got a bigger picture for you. Jonah, you know what? Those people don't have a clue. They are lost. It's kind of like when Jesus was dying on the cross. You remember what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't have any idea what they've done. They don't know what they're doing. This is going to be the hardest moment of Jonah's life. Might be the hardest moment of your life. Because you have to say something, do something, start something, where you say, you know what, my freedom that God is chasing after me for is worth more than holding on to that thing. And it's going to be really hard because it, it offends our sense of justice, doesn't it? We would like someone to pay. And, and again, I'm, I hear the hurt. It, this is small and trivial in comparison, but I, I, I remember figuring, learning this in, in a different way. God gave me a little bit of a, an insight. I, I used to play hockey when I was in uh, college, and we play, I played in a full-contact college league, and I was... Now I'm a shape, it's more like round. Before I was in a shape like this, right? I was like super strong and, and I was a young guy and I was like a reasonably good skater, but there was this guy who played on St. Boniface University, St. Boniface College. They were our, our team we played against and he was faster than me and he was better than me, which was very annoying. And so I made it my mission that I was gonna not let this guy win. And so he would try skating around me and I would do everything I possibly could. And, and uh, so we were skating toward, the puck went in, we were skating toward it. And uh, 
do you know what a slew foot is? Those people who bought, yeah. He, uh, he slew footed me just as we were, we were like about six feet from the boards. He just knocked my skates out from underneath me and I went crashing into the boards head first. And it could have been like really, really bad, right? And I did what any good Mennonite boy from Northern Saskatchewan does. No, no, no. That's actually a pretty good thought. But I was, I was more vindictive than that. I just took his number. And to this day, you know what? I know his number. He's number 17. And, I, I, and, and you know, revenge is a dish best served cold. I didn't do it in the first period. I didn't do it in the second period. But in the third period, I saw somebody pass to him and he, the, the, the puck was right in the middle of his skates as he was crossing the blue line. And a little smile came on my face. And I was big, and I was strong, and I knew how to hit. And I absolutely blew him up and just destroyed him. And as he was laying in a puddle of the boards, I remember skating by and going like this. Even now, I feel a little bit too good about that. And, and you know the interesting thing is, for, we played those for four years. We played that same team. Number 17 was on it. And, and I actually never enjoyed those games because I had to keep my head on a swivel because I just thought, I'm going to get killed anytime because we had this whole revenge thing going back and forth now, right? And he did. He would level me and he would score and he would kind of look at me and wink as he, after he scored or went around me. I hate this game. And I hate that guy. And uh, at the end of four years, I just remember we had, a, we had lost again, and we were shaking hands, and, and I knew this was going to be the last game, and I said, hey, you know, good battles that we've had. He looked at me and went, who are you? And I don't think he was actually dissing me. I, I think, you know what he was saying? Is exactly what happens to you. We have these things in our mind that we have built up about other people and how they feel about us and the things that we do, and they have long since moved on. And you are carrying that stuff with you. And poor Jonah was carrying this whole thing with him. And God pursued him across the river and made all this stuff for him because he wanted him to be free. And my friends, he is doing this to you. Jesus died so you could be free. You see, God's compassion is different than benevolence. God's compassion is about a, a love attachment, a heart attachment that he has to you. He doesn't need you, right? God is completely good without you. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. But he has decided to attach his heart to you and to love you. And not based on who you are, the amazing things that we've done, just because you're you. And he has compassion on the people of Nineveh, and he has compassion on Jonah, and he has compassion because he has attached his heart to them. It's different than just saying, hey, I'm going to give something to somebody. And that heart attachment is so important for us because there's some lessons that Jonah didn't learn that I want to just go over really quickly with us as we look 
to say, what, what can we learn from Jonah's close encounter? The first thing is this, is what Jonah didn't do is lean into God with his hurts. He tried running away, he tried despairing, but what he didn't do is to lean in to see what God was really up to. He is for you and I can trust you even when I can't trace you. I can trust you even when I can't trace you. I can trust you even when I can't see what you're doing, but I gotta lean into it. I gotta lean into these problems. I gotta lean into what's going on. We had a, we do staff devos every, uh, every Monday morning and all the staff gets together and we do worship sometimes, we do whatever. This time we, we had, a, had someone share and they shared their life story and hit a whole bunch of really good highlights. But if you unpacked some of the things that were happening in this lady's life, it was actually quite horrible. She had uh, grown up in an alcoholic home with all the stuff that went on around that. And, and then when she was 14, her mom had died and what had happened is her dad worked up north and eventually he had to leave and then nobody actually wanted this kid. She was the last one of a whole bunch of kids and nobody wanted her and she felt, felt that. And then the person that she did end up moving in with kind of was so obvious, like that didn't want her there. Every problem in the house was blamed on her. And then what happens is what happened to a lot of people is when you have a vulnerable kid, that vulnerable kid got taken advantage of by some really horrible people. And I won't go into too much detail, but you kind of go where I'm going, right? And, and she began to believe that, that she was the sum of all of the bad things that happened to her. That's who she was. That was her value. And, and the, the overwhelming sense of her life was shame. If anything ever went wrong, she received it as, as her personal shame. And you hear the story, and the person behind me said, it is amazing this lady is not like bitter and angry. And, and, and as the story unfolded, it was so interesting because she would talk about how she went around the Disraeli Bridge, that area underneath there, and would walk two or three at night and keep walking around and trying to get rid of all this stuff. But what she kept doing is she kept leaning into God with it. Going to Bible school around that area. And it was a point, but it was actually a process that God took her through. And, and kind of the, the coolest thing for me was to hear that one of the ladies, one of the authority figures in her life who had taken advantage of her probably 20 years later, came and apologized and said, hey, listen, you know what? I want to tell you that I'm sorry. What I did was completely inappropriate. And she said it was the strangest thing. I actually didn't need her apology. It was already done. What the world can never give you is that. The gospel has the power to give you freedom when nobody says they're sorry. You see, in our world, everybody has to say sorry. They have to say it the right way. And if you don't get it, oh my goodness, you guys were in trouble. The power of the gospel is God died for it and his blood covers those things and that's where you get your freedom. You don't actually, it isn't actually hinge on somebody else, right? Because you may never get that apology. And when you get it, it might not help at all because what's inside is what God wants to touch and only he can touch it if you lean into him. It's a process, 
that starts with our decision, but he takes care of it because I am the lifter of your head. Nobody else lifts your head and nobody else puts it down. God lifts it up. Amen? We lean to God with our hurts. Second is this, is you can't think yourself out of your hurts. You can't process it and work through it in the way to kind of figure it out, to get to the place. And, and there's a, a few reasons for that. Well, one is this, is, and I hope I can explain this, this clearly enough really quickly. When you remember things, you aren't just remembering the initial event that, that happened to you. You actually remember how you experienced it, all the things around it, all the emotions. You actually remember the last time you remember it. And so it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And some of those things that you're remembering, I'm not even sure they happened. And we are trying to think it out. You will never figure it out, your hurts, by thinking them through. I had a pastor friend years ago. He got dismissed under not so brotherly circumstances and the church is your family and your church and your home super hard for him and so eight months later I called him up said how are you doing and he said I'm actually terrible I have no like I said what are you gonna do next he says I have no idea he was Jonah totally off mission right I said what well like what are you doing he said well Every night I go to bed and I think about all the things that have happened and how they happened and try to get it right. Like, what did I do? What did I not do? And every morning I wake up and I do the same thing. <sighs> Along with being completely emotionally exhausting, I remember thinking and asking him, so what new information do you think you've gotten over eight months of doing that? Nothing. You will never think your way, never think your way out of your hurts. You know what you will do? You will allow the forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of God, not your will, but the forgiveness of God to flow through you so you can be free. It's an event where you say I'm forgiven and then it's a process where you forgive. And here's the thing that I think is so important is the blood of Jesus covers you even when you don't feel like you've forgiven. Because if you have something really bad that's happened to you, most likely you're not going to all feel all forgivey all the time, right? You're going to feel other things, and you're going to think other things, and you have all sorts of stories that have gone in your mind of what you're going to do, and oh, okay, we've got to pull that back in. Does that mean you haven't forgiven? No, it doesn't. The blood of Jesus, this is why being somebody who is God's son is so amazing. Because God's blood of Jesus covers you as you work out that. And you are taking God's forgiveness and it's washing over those things because you want to be free. And those other people, that's God's deal. You see, that's how you get free. Not by thinking it through over and over and over again, right? That's the power of the gospel. Third thing that I want to talk to you about is this, as we close. And it's something that we can actually take, whether we're hurting or whether we're in a, in a situation where we just can give to other people, is the true, true compassion, the compassion of God, always demands action. 
In Matthew 9, Jesus was tired. He had had a full day of ministry. He said to his disciples, come on, let's go and get something to eat and get some rest. But then, he, then in 9.36, he says, but he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. So he liked or shared something? No. Liking and sharing isn't actually compassion, right? Okay. He did something. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. God's heart connect, Jesus' heart connected to these people, and he said, okay, that's all right, and he began to teach them. Now, did he have boundaries? And of course he did. He got away and he did some stuff. But there is a heart of compassion that God has put in you for the people around you, and we actually have to do something when we feel compassion. There's something that has to come out of us to make it happen because we are the only people people that actually have this. The world doesn't have this, folks. You and I have this. And when God gives you that heart for somebody, that heart attachment for them, he's going to give you the grace to do this, but it's going to be a bit exhausting and it's going to be inconvenient. Jesus was massively inconvenienced when this thing came along. But he knew what they needed because that's where real life came from. There's a great story I heard from Craig Rochelle. You probably, you might know who he is. And he was telling the story of how he had just finished all of this speaking thing that he had done. And he was on his way home. I think it was from St. Louis to Carolinas. And his flight got delayed and got changed. And it was such a hassle. And he was so tired. And he comes and he's about to sit down in his seat. And he walks past one of the seat mates and he goes, oh, you're Craig, aren't you? You're my pastor from a distance. And he just went, and you know pastors may look all nice and pastory but we don't always feel that way right and and he's just like oh and he said hey listen you know would you mind if i just go read i got this thing i have to do which was sort of true sort of not and he sits down and the holy spirit says to him she had more to say so he closed his book put it down walked over and said, you know what, I'm really, really sorry. I know you have more to say, and what is it that I can... And she just started to cry. And she said, you know what, I am not a drinker. I don't drink, but last night I got drunk, and I went out and I had sex with somebody. And now I'm going home to my husband, and I am just scared out of my mind. I don't know what to do. Not hard to have a heart attachment. It was hard when he walked past the seat. It wasn't hard at that moment. And so he connected her up with somebody and he said, okay, tomorrow at 11 o'clock when you tell your husband, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to get some other people to pray for you. And so he goes home, kind of forgot about it, but he set a thing on his watch and he's, he's off the other side of the Carolina, other side of the city, and he's connecting and he also realizes, oh, it's like 5 to 11. And he has nothing to do. And he hears this whisper that he thinks the Holy Spirit, and he says, go to Walmart. And if that was me, I would think that can't be God. <laughs> Walmart, Ikea, that rat maze, like, oh, that can't be God. But he did anyways, and he went to Ikea, he walks in the door, and the first person that he sees, this guy looks at him, he goes, Craig, you're my pastor from a distance, and you met my wife on a plane, and she just told me like a minute ago 
where I, what she had done, and I had no idea what to do, so I went to Walmart, and I met you. Now, I want you to think about this. God chased Jonah all over the place and met him right where he was at. God took this man, and, and I love what, what Pastor Craig said to this guy. He says, you know what? God delayed my flight. He put me right beside your wife, and he dragged me to Walmart so I could meet with you. I think he has a plan for you and for your marriage. What are you going to do? God's heart of compassion is all over your life. What are you going to do? For the things that are your hurts, but also for the people around you that he wants to attach your heart to. Because you have the message, you have the power of the gospel that nobody else has. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand? We're going to do a couple of things. Just If you don't have to go somewhere, please don't. Uh, bow your heads, close your eyes online. Uh, I want to take a moment and pray for some of you because um, I really quickly went over the hurts part. And I understand that there's some things that people have experienced that are really deep and significant. And I want to pray for you. And here's what I want you to do. I don't, church family, I don't want you to just sit there as I'm praying for other people. I want you to pray for them. There are, part, there are people in this room and online who are part of your church family who have had devastating hurts in their life and they are so stuck and they actually need you right now to pray for them, okay? I want you to join together with me and we're going to pray that today would be their day where they make that decision to be free. It might be the hardest thing they ever do. Father, I pray that, I thank you that you are chasing after all of us with your heart of compassion and Lord, I lift up the people online and in the building who have had things happen to them that they are just struggling with. And Lord, you know them, and I thank you that you chase after them. You're the hound of heaven, and you do because you want to see them set free. And we pray, Lord, that today would be the day for them, that it would begin with that decision that starts the journey, that the blood of Jesus is going to cover it even though they don't feel it all the time, that there is something new that you have for them, and it's called freedom. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the freedom that together we can pray for as a church family. Just kind of remain in that attitude of, of prayerfulness. I want to ask you online and in person, if there's anybody here today who... You may have actually had some real bad stuff happen to you and, and you've never made that decision to accept Jesus or maybe you have and you've slipped away and you need to come back. If that's you today, nobody looking around, please, would you just raise your hand up and I'll acknowledge it. Thank you in the back. Yeah. Anybody online, there's a hand popping up. You can just push on, on that. Anybody else? Okay, that's great. We're going to pray together as a church family, and I want you to pray along with those people who are, who are really grabbing a hold of this today. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that his love is so deep that, he's, that he came down and he died for me. Today I accept that. Today I release all of those things and I choose the embrace of my Father in heaven. I thank you for my freedom. I thank you for your love and your compassion. In Jesus' name, amen.
why don't you give him a hand?